0: Welcome back to another episode of the Testudo Times podcast with your host
1: Sam Austria alongside Ben Dixon. Ben, we have a lot to get to today. How are you doing? Well, Sam. Big game tonight with UCLA. Uh, tough one Sunday for the Terps at Barclays against Tennessee. Lots to get to with the football and, and women's basketball team as well. And uh, exciting time for Maryland Athletics. Let's get right to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're recording this right before noon on Wednesday, December fourteenth. A little. We're going to talk a lot about this UCLA matchup coming up tonight. Um, preview it, do some predictions um what it might mean moving forward because Maryland basketball is an eight day break after this. So this is the four game stretch that everyone's been talking about all year. It's the end of it. They beat Illinois. They lost to Wisconsin um and then they lost to Tennessee on Sunday. So we're gonna talk about that Tennessee game and then, then they have this UCLA game tonight to end that four game stretch. They can either go two and two, finish five hundred there, um, or they'd be one and three in that four game stretch. Not ideal, probably pro- probably would be kicked out of those um top 25 rankings right now they're at 20th they dropped from 13th. But let's talk about that uh Tennessee game. Tennessee wins 56 to 53 at the Barclays on Sunday night or Sunday during the day and it really felt like a whole home game for Maryland. There were a ton of Maryland fans, a ton of red in the building when Maryland was making a big run in the second half. Um it got they got really loud in there. But Maryland was abysmal in the first half offensively. Uh they scored 17 points, were down 17 at halftime, 34 to 17. But they outscored Tennessee by 14 in the second half to make it a game. Jameer Young had an opportunity uh, to tie the game late, 55-53. He goes in for a floater, and uh, he misses it. It was was a wide open, great look. Really couldn't ask for a better look to send the game to overtime. He misses it. Tennessee comes down, hits a free throw. Jameer Young has another chance to, to tie the game from three misses it. Tennessee wins by three in a horrible first half for Maryland, but a great second half. We got some nuances from the game, but what were your overall takeaways?
1: Yeah, I think your point with the crowd, uh, I think the Maryland fans that showed out in numbers in New York, which always happens. I think they probably wanted to leave in the first half. I think that's probably the biggest takeaway there. I wrote one of my three takeaways from the game completely on the first half because it was truly abysmal three for 24 from the field. Uh, only one two-pointer. You're not going to win many games shooting like that. And then they went over for 10 for three in the second half as well. So just a miserable shooting performance. Uh Kevin Willard said they didn't like the basketball. Who knows there? Uh, obviously we'll get into the nooks and crannies of the game, but yeah, probably just Maryland's poor offense to start the game. And it's amazing. Second half surge. It's, it's, it's press help there. The Defense really tightened up because look, it wasn't like Tennessee had an amazing offensive performance this game uh either. So Overall, I mean we'll get into it, but I think those are probably the two most under uh, overlying uh, or, excuse me underlying uh, narratives here, given that you know the miserable first half and the impressive second half. I think it's really a tale of two games that you're going to take away from that that game Yeah,
0: all. Let's break down the first half first before we get to the second half, which was a horrible performance for Maryland. They looked slow, they looked dull, they didn't look energetic and show the effort that they have all year and obviously willard talked about how he, he was heated. Um, in the halftime locker room and and everyone was hearing it from him. Obviously, Hakeem, he said he thought about pulling the entire starting five to start the second half. It just ended up being Hakeem Hart, he said, because he was the guy in front of him. That's what Willard said. Who knows if if that's true or not. Maybe, maybe there was some things he wasn't happy with more specifically with Hakeem. But um it, it really was just a horrible first half from an effort standpoint from an offensive standpoint it it was the worst half of basketball for maryland and it showed in the scoring output but more specifically um they shot 3 for 24 from the field they made three field goals in 20 minutes that's that's almost impossible right <laughs> they got out rebounded um off on the offensive rebounds by 11 tennessee was dominating the glass getting ever getting whatever they want and that's an effort thing that's just boxing out so that maryland didn't wasn't up to their poor in terms of their effort um, in the first half. But the, the biggest thing for me is, and look, and we knew going into this game there had been a lot talked about, uh, Tennessee is not really good at handling the press. And Maryland was going to press, and that was, was going to be part of their game plan. And we saw it be effective in the second half. But in the first half, they couldn't get into it at all because you could only really press on made baskets, and they made three shots the entire first half. So that was a big thing too. Like that was part of their game plan. It was a huge part of their game plan, I'm sure, that you wanna speed Tennessee up, force them into difficult de- decisions through your press because they struggle with that. And when you can't get into your press for an entire half and you let because you can't make a shot and you let Tennessee just just work their half court offense, they're gonna have more success. Here's my last point. Maryland shot, like I said, three for twenty four in the first half from three. Sixteen of those twenty four field goals were three-point shots and they shot 13 percent from three so it, w- it wasn't just that they and they weren't horrible looks like tennessee has the third best scoring defense in the, in the entire country i think number one defensive efficiency on ken palm um so they have a phenomenal defense but they weren't doing anything too special to, against maryland they were getting some good looks but as the as the first half went on they started settling and a lot of those shots were just not in rhythm, not open threes in the first half. It changed a little bit in the second half, but they were just settling simply. And look, and I'm going to before I give it to you, I'm going to disagree with Kevin Willard a little bit when he says that we're not a team Um, that that we have to win the three-point battle. We're not a team that's going to bang inside. And I agree with that. You're not going to get a lot of post touches uh, for Julian against a team like uh, Tennessee or Dante. You're, you're going to have to win on the perimeter. But that doesn't mean you can't Uh, driving kick doesn't mean you can't penetrate and put pressure on the defense if you're just jacking up threes the whole time from the outside um it's way easier to guard as a defense and so that's that's what i want to see that's what i wanted to see going into the second half was a a difference in the shot selection and more balance in terms of twos and threes before we get to the second half uh which which they certainly did and we talk about that uh, what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah i think me and you were you and I were both talking about it Sunday against Tennessee in that first half, just a complete and total over-reliance on the three-point shot. Two-thirds of their shots in the first half were three pointers. It's not if you're not shooting the ball at a high clip, that's not going to be a recipe to win the game. And yes, they had open looks and they were missing open looks, but the offense was really stagnant as well. You have to give credit to Tennessee, of course. They are the best defensive efficiency team in the country, and they only improved that margin after that Maryland game ended. But to not, you know, get any dribble drives, any movement. And Jameer Young said after the game, the offense was stagnant, and Tennessee was being more physical, and that really felt like the story of the first half. And yes, they're also probably more physical the whole game as well, given the the offensive rebound and margin and everything else that uh, Coach Willard has talked about. But yeah, the offense was just a complete disgrace, completely stagnant in the first half. Not only the threes; I mean, Patrick Emilean missed two blank looks at the rim. There were other guys were missing layups as well. Really, you know, tough to see, and you, you're just they were down by as many as 21 in in the first half. And I, I get they caught it to one possession at the end. But when you go down by that much in the first half and your shooting is at that poor of a level, it's really not going to be a recipe to win games. And Sam, you talk about the press. I was reading the press clippings just from the, the game before uh, against Eastern Kentucky that Tennessee played. Tennessee struggled against the press of Eastern Kentucky. Now for Maryland, a team whose identity is the press, maybe Maryland makes a few more shots and the press kind of changes the game and and they get some more transition buckets and they don't shoot at three for 24 rate from the field in the first half. But yeah, to not make any shots and not be able to set up that press in the first half, I think that was probably more hurtful than anything, probably more hurtful than missing the open looks because Maryland really just wasn't able to play their game. They were playing Tennessee's, you know, muck it up more physical style of play that just Julian Reese had 3000, the first 10 minutes that they just weren't able to match and, It was kind of it was a nightmare the first half overall. Yeah,
0: the physicality piece was huge. Um, I mean Tennessee, the reason why they're so good defensively is because they are so physical and they're so good at controlling the rebounding battle. But so yeah, the physicality part was huge. But just pure defensively, you know, they weren't doing anything. They weren't like building a wall where Maryland couldn't penetrate. They weren't doing anything so, like, like impressive where Maryland couldn't score. Like I said first you have to you have to knock down at least a couple threes they just really struggled from three and shooting the ball like you said point blank layups they just couldn't make they could not buy a shot there was a lid on the rim for them and that happens in in halves and in games of basketball um but uh at the same time like I said it's the shot selection that I want to see improve if you're jacking up threes and you're missing them in a high consistent rate maybe don't shoot as many threes try to get to the rim try to switch up the offensive looks that you're getting maybe even get. So mid-post touches for Dante. Maybe, I know Julian doesn't, he's not really a guy you're going to have designed sets for to get touches in the post, but maybe I'll let him get a touch or two and see if he can operate against really good and physical Tennessee bigs. And we know Willard kept saying to, to Julian on the sideline, or Kevin McNulty reported, he kept saying to Willard on the sideline, or Willard kept saying to Julian on the sideline, physicality, physicality, physicality. He wanted to see his physicality improve against a team like this. But as we go to the second half and, and really what changed, um, for me, it was 66% of Maryland's shots in the first half were threes. I, it was under 20% of, shot, of their shots in the second half were threes. That's a drastic difference. And look at the point totals. 17 points in the first half for Maryland, 36 points in the second half for, for, uh, for Maryland. There's a direct correlation for that. And usually, um, if you shoot more threes, you're probably going to score more because you're going to make some at least. But when you're as cold as they were, it, you really can't just become over-reliant on the three-ball. And Julian and, and excuse me, uh, Jameer and Dante, after the game, talked about it. They're like, we, we knew this wasn't working. We had to switch it up. And, and they started driving to the hoop, getting better looks. And they were over 8 from 3 in the first half. I mean, excuse me. They were over 8 from 3 in the second half. And they still, still scored 36 points. So you, when your three-ball isn't falling, you can't keep relying on it. You have to find other creative ways to score. And that was the biggest difference for me in the second half
1: yeah you know, I think kind of one of the the glaring things is looking at these stats after the game Maryland actually outscored Tennessee in the paint thirty to twenty four by the end of the game, and yes, the press helped and and I think the shot selection was probably the biggest thing like you mentioned, but to be able to get into playing more this Maryland style of basketball that we've become accustomed to seeing under Willard instead of you know letting the opponent dictate the game was absolutely huge. Uh, Rick Barnes said after the game that he didn't think the press really altered them that much. It was a little frantic. I kind of disagree. I think Um, yes, they had a couple of really nice press breaks and, and they were able to, to weather the storm for the most part, but Maryland kind of just changed the, I I don't want to say the outlook of the game, but kind of just the tone and and the energy in the building just immediately changed. As soon as Maryland started to get out and run a little bit, Maryland was getting to the rim a little bit more. It just, it felt like, it was, it was like I said earlier, a tale of two different halves and you kind of touched on it all, but for Maryland to be able to play that style of Maryland basketball, not be over-reliant on the threes as they were in the first half, I think, especially in the first half, we kind of saw Dante Scott refers, uh revert a little bit to what we've seen last year, kind of settling for, for wide open threes or not settling for wide open threes, but settling for threes in general, He missed a couple wide opens, ones as well, but it, it just felt like a different team in the second half. And, That style of of play that they had during that comeback is what won them so many games early on.
0: Yeah, and like it was, it was a theme before the season. It's been a theme all season. They want to play fast, get out in transition, and the way you do that is it starts with your defense. Like you just talked about with the press. So w- when you can press effectively, that's going to help that style of play. And at and Advantage Maryland, when they're playing their own style, when they're playing fast, when they're getting in that press, and I thought that was again, it wasn't just a so- shot selection in the second half. It was the press. And and when you press and you create turnovers, you create havoc. You're going to get more transition looks, more open looks. Um from all over the court offensively. And that's kind of what happened because it really, the that press did kind of trip up Tennessee quite a bit. And they got a lot of, they forced a lot of turnovers. I mean, Tennessee finished the game with 11 turnovers. I don't know how many were in the second half. Eight of those turnovers were in the second half compared to only three in the first half for Tennessee. So that was the difference with the press. And it, it kind of just sped them up. And like, like we said in the open, you can only do that if you're making baskets because you can only really press on, made shots. So the fact that they weren't making any bit shots in the first half really put them in a hole. Um, and you go back to the three-point shooting, uh, 8% from three for the entire that game Maryland was. St- when your stars don't shoot well from three, your team's not going to shoot well from three. Hakeem Hart was one for six. Dante Scott, zero oh for six. Jameer Young, one for seven. And Don Carey, who's been really cold all year, honestly, was zero oh for four from three. But let's look at the positive here. This Maryland team shot 8% from three, abysmal um where debt was down scored 17 points in the first half and still had a chance late in the game within the last seconds of the game to to win or send the game to overtime against now the number six team in the entire country that speaks volumes um it's kind of the culture that willard's created where where their toughness and their defense and how they're resilient when they respond but also to the potential in the ceiling um if maryland can clean up this three-point shooting and, and they're shooting an offensive so- shot selection in general of, of the potential of this team.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, to start, it, uh, that comeback was incredible to only shoot, not even make a three in the second half and cut it to within one possession and have a chance to tie the game or take the lead at the end, not once, but even twice with Jameer's three, which was kind of, kind of a prayer at the buzzer. But yeah, it is a character thing, I think, a, a culture thing. It starts from the top down with Willard. He's kind of you know, embodied this no BS kind of culture at Maryland that we start, we see the start of the second half. Like you said, Sammy debated, starting a whole new starting five yesterday. I asked him and then finally got to it after a few questions, why Hakeem Hart was benched in the second half. Yeah, he was mad at him. He was in the doghouse. It was probably an effort thing. And that's what I think fans have to be happy about is there's, a ton of accountability with this team starting from the top down. If you're not showing effort on defense, and yes, Willard says all the time, if you show 100% effort on defense, you can do 100% hundred of what you want on offense. And that kind of came back to bite him a little bit in the first half against Tennessee. But I think benching Akeem Hart for Noah Batchelor to start the second half sent a message in a way, probably to Akeem Hart, who I think had a couple buckets in the second half as well, but just more of a, an overwhelming message of accountability as a whole. And for this team, to have this culture where, you know, there's not going to be any shenanigans or, and you got to be showing hundred percent of the effort every time. I think that move kind of embodied it and maybe sent a message to start the second half to the rest of the team as well. Who knows that? that, I thought that was an interesting tidbit. I wanted to include there, but it it starts real
0: quick. That's what's when you talk about, you brought up his offensive philosophy or his philosophy in general about playing hard. And he's like, he said all these coaches were calling him earlier in the season. Like, how do you get your guys to play so hard? He was like, he's like, I don't, I let them do whatever they want offensively, but you can, but if you're not playing hard on defense, you will take a seat on the bench. You have to play hard on defense. That's the only must. Um, where 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 you have to see time on the floor, or where you're not going to get benched, I guess. Um, and, and it's funny because, like like he said that he said, and you just said that that's produced some sloppy offensive possessions and offensive streaks, and and we saw that yesterday. And we saw we've seen that a few times this season, even against Wisconsin. But at the same time. That's how he gets these guys to buy in. And look, this was the same story with Kevin Willard and Seton Hall. Those were some ugly offensive teams some years, but they played so hard on defense. They would muck you up. They would get in your face. They were tough, and and they, they wouldn't be bullied really in any game. And that's the culture, and that's the precedent that Willard wants to set in year one, and, and it's produced some ugly results, but it also almost gave Maryland a chance to beat um, – To beat Tennessee, the number six team in the country, while shooting what is going to be, I'm sure, their worst three point shooting uh percentage of the of the entire year at eight percent for the game. So it's so it's interesting where it's like that philosophy. It does get guys to to buy in and play hard, but it does produce some some ugly results offensively sometimes.
1: Yeah, I mean, if they hit two of those wide open threes, they would have won the game. So it was it was it was pretty amazing that comeback to do it without even making a three in the second half. Really playing that Maryland basketball we've become accustomed to seeing now under Willard and playing fast pressing and making shots of course obviously helps with that. So like we said, tail two halves, first half miserable, second half, I think a lot to build on. And Willard said after the game, it's a fun coach to fun group to coach. Um, they play hard, they're resilient and I think we'll kind of see a, a better start tonight against UCLA.
0: Yeah. A couple guys I want to harp on before we go into UCLA preview. Um, Jameer Young, he was still at a good, I mean, he was one for seven for three, but besides that, he was still five for 11 from two. He'd love to have that that one floater back that he could have potentially sent it to overtime, which was really a bunny, and he'll make that. It's a that, signature, too, it feels like. Yeah. I mean, he'll make that eight or nine out of ten times. He didn't make it the one that counts, but it happens. He had a big shot the a uh, couple games before against Tennessee. But he still finished with 18 points um, and seven assists, which was really impressive, especially considering he was a point guard and his teammates were not hitting shots on the outside. Seven assists is really impressive um in that game. But and there's nothing really to be worried about with Dante Scott and Hakeem Hart. Tough struggling shooting nights, it, it happens. I mean, like we talked about in the last pod, Akeem Hart's offensive efficiency and three point percentage was so phenomenal. You're almost guaranteed to see a regression because it's it's hard to last that entire season. And we kind of saw that against Tennessee, but nothing to be worried about there. But there are a couple guys I want to talk to you about. Um first Don Kerry, who's really struggled from three all season and, you know, Willard said it yesterday, he said he's just not shooting the ball well, but he still thinks he's a phenomenal shooter and has the confidence in him. And in a weird way, I kind of do too, because I really like Like when you watch him shoot, I really like his stroke. And he's a guy that we saw it in Mogan's son against St. Louis of Miami. When he gets hot, he can get really hot. But the thing is, he just, he needs to get hot. I mean, he's shooting 24% from three um, this season. He's taken 58 attempts, which is by far the most on the team, so he really needs to kind of—he really needs to get hot for this Maryland team to reach his potential. The thing is, like, sometimes great shooters have cold streaks, cold games, cold weeks. Sometimes they have cold seasons, and yeah. this is one of those cold seasons for a great shooter in Don Carey. Because I really do think that his his shot is really pretty, and he, he is a great shooter. But it's really going to be t- tough for Maryland to reach uh, their full potential or full ceiling if if uh, Don keeps struggling from three like this.
1: Look, he's taken – look at his stats from his first four years of college. 35% from three in 2018 at Mount St. Mary's. 38% from three 2020 at Siena. 45% at Georgetown in 2021. Uh, and then 38.8% at Georgetown last season. Now only shooting 24%. I mean, look, Willard has confidence in him as his past has kind of shown. But he is – it. it's really hurting the team right now. And I don't want to say just Sunday because everyone was shooting crappy at Sunday against Tennessee. But Don Carey has had one, two, three, four games this season where he hasn't made a three, and then two others where he's only hit one. Maryland's played 10, what, 10 games? That's 60% of the games where he's either hit one or zero threes. Look, that's that's kind of the X factor to the season, in my opinion. He if he's starting and he continues to play hard on the defensive end, which Willard has harped on, and he's gonna continue to get these looks he has to knock him down because it's gonna it's what's going to separate outside of the physicality and and juju taking a step in big ten play i think that is right there in terms of he needs if he's gonna play this much he needs to be shooting at a thirty five percent forty percent rate from three for this this team to succeed and and those o fours and and one fours they're gonna come back to to hurt the team in the long run in in my opinion, but we'll see. I think the confidence is there for just reason uh, in in Willard and and your confidence as well. Just given, I mean, the guy was a forty five percent three point shooter in the Big East at one point. It's 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 not a fluke. He has a good stroke, as we've seen. But it is it is unfortunate right now to see him going through these struggles. And and Maryland's going to need him to step it up. I mean, Willard joked a couple weeks ago that he'll kill him if he doesn't start shooting better. But you know, he 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 does have to start shooting at a higher rate.
0: Yeah, and the other thing is, like, you can see Willard has the confidence in him because he's still playing a ton of minutes, and you know Ian Martinez can kind of fill that fill that role. He's not near as good of a shooter or even defender, really. Uh, he might be as good of a defender, even though Don Carey's elevated his defense. I think um, this season, but he, Don Carey played 26 minutes against Tennessee. Ian Martinez only played 14, so he's not really even questioning. Um, taking Don Carey out for long stretches and and replacing him with Ian Martinez, even though Ian Martinez has been the sixth man, so I don't think he's going to really tinker with the starting lineup or tinker with the minutes that he's playing. But it, it's pretty simple. Like like he he's a shooter. He's a shooter. Like you yeah. got it. You got to make shots as a shooter. If you're a big man who rebounds, you got to rebound. Like it's his role on this team, and everyone needs to fulfill their role to get to where this team could potentially go. And if he starts making shots and and becomes a reliable, consistent shooter, I mean really the sky is this limit. The sky is the limit for this team because he's the one holding them back more than anyone in terms of three point
1: department. Right. And it's only December. So we will see, but tough start for him. I do want to talk about Ian, who who you've talked about kind of, I think not showing second wise here, but he played his least amount of minutes of the season against Wisconsin, 13 minutes. And then he only played 14 minutes against Tennessee. I think, I think there's probably an, an avenue for him to get some of Carrie's minutes and play some more here. Willard said he's not going to change up the starting five. He's not a big switch it up guy, but Ian Martinez offensively is, is a different player this season. And he's, he's capitalized on his minutes at least on the offensive end. So I, I'd be intrigued to maybe see him get, get some more minutes as well. Um, I think he is right now. Ian Martinez conference only rank in those, those two games against Illinois and Wisconsin He's the thirteenth best offensive rating in all the 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 conference, excuse me. So we'll see. Um I, I'm not saying he's he's a superstar offensive player or a superstar defensive player, but he's been impactful enough in minutes, at least to me, to to maybe take a few of those Don Carry minutes and and see what he can do there.
0: Yeah, you know it's interesting because against Tennessee, he really Willard really did not go to the bench at all, especially in that second half comeback. He he really couldn't at all. Um, E Martinez only played 14, like you said, and Patrick Million had the most minutes off the bench. Um, with 16, he really only played that much because Julian Reese was in foul trouble, which we'll get to in a second. So he only played, um, 20, Julian Reese only played 23 minutes in the game. But like Jahari Long, who's who's contributed well off the bench, he only played five minutes. Um, and you, he's played 10 total guys like Noah Bachelor and Caleb Swan Swat Roger got some run, but they each only played like four or five minutes. But let's get to let's get to Julian Reese here. Because there's a couple of things um with Julian Reese that we've seen in the last in the last few games, um especially in the last two losses against Wisconsin and and then um Tennessee. First is, we said it earlier, but Willard is yelling at him, physicality, physicality, physicality. And we knew this, this might be coming when he's playing taller, stronger, more physical bigs, which, he, which he's seen in recent weeks. But it's going to be a theme moving forward the rest of the season once they get into exclusively Big Ten play after the season. I mean, excuse me, after the new year. So first off, is, is that a concern for you at all? And then the other thing is his, his fouling. He's now three straight games, but he's had four fouls. Which he hasn't fouled out yet, but that's very concerning. Against Wisconsin, he still played 31 minutes, but there was a when he picked up that third foul, um, excuse me, that fourth foul in the, I think it was around like eight or nine minute mark, maybe even seven minute mark in the um in the second half, he had to he had to sit down for like four or five minutes, an extended period of time, and that was a pretty crucial time for Maryland where they could have kind of came completely came back in the game and they took the lead at one point later in the game, but still that that was a pretty crucial time. He still played 31 minutes against Wisconsin. But he, uh, the foul trouble is a concern, especially because when you have four fouls, even when you're in the game and playing minutes, you, your your mindset is completely different because you don't want to pick up that fifth foul and and go on the bench. You're not playing as physical. You're not playing um as aggressive defensively as, as you would be earlier in the game. And against Tennessee, he was really in foul trouble and he only played twenty three minutes. So just talk about. All right, let's just. Let's talk about his his foul trouble concerns from a defensive standpoint and the discipline, but also just his physicality we've seen the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, of games. course. I think I think he had he had three fouls before the halfway mark of the first half. That's it's not going to cut it against anyone. Just I think for for Julian, there's probably a little bit more pressure on him to stay in the game, just given Maryland's bench situation. Like Patrick Emile is a physical big, but he's only. 6'7", Willard says he's 6'6", so when you go against teams like Tennessee or or UCLA or any of these Big Ten teams, it's going to be a problem if if Juju can't stay in the game to start, one. Two, physicality. I think we've seen him take a leap towards being a little bit more physical this year, but it's not all the way there yet. He needs to to be tough, Sam, because offensively, if you look at just the offensive numbers, just solo, but not isolating them, not looking at anything else, the guy's the eighth best effective field goal percentage of any player in the country, and the twenty eighth best true shooting percentage of every of every player in the country. So he's capitalized on the offensive looks he's been able to get, but on both ends of the floor, that physicality just needs to reach another level. Where look, he he feels he gets the ball in the post, and he feels comfortable either passing it out right away. Because I think there was a play against Tennessee where he was kind of backing the guy down, he didn't see the double coming, and, and it resulted in a steal and, and a turnover on on his end. The physicality is the biggest worry. I think in terms of offensive skill, you can't really doubt him, although we, we've talked about his shot. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure we have to talk about that right now in this discussion where he, he's kind of a non-factor outside of the paint, but he needs to toughen up both you know, mentally and physically to be a factor in this Big Ten because it is, it's a grown man's league. It, it's unforgiving, and if we see him struggle with physicality against or like he did against Tennessee, it, it could end up being a pretty long year uh, for Maryland, at least dealing with, with big men on that front. Yeah, a couple of points. First, on the um,
0: those effective field goal numbers that you just said, um, a little bit fraudulent just because... Uh, right, the competition. No, well, no, not... Well, yeah, it's not just the competition, but also more so that the looks that he's getting are like dimes or open looks yep. or um, sometimes transition layups um, that are really like open... Um, possessions, and he's not. The thing is, he's not shooting the ball a lot. I alluded to this earlier, but he's hasn't been a guy really all season that they're throwing the ball into the post. They're they're running a set to get him, and I say look on either block, and he's going to work um and get uh, with post moves. We saw that earlier in the season against weaker opponents, but you're not seeing that against Wisconsin. You're not seeing that against Tennessee. You're not really going to see that against teams that have good bigs in the Big Ten. So it's. It's a little bit fraudulent just because most of his looks are are dimes or or dunks or open layups from other guys. They're not really him generating um his own points, if that makes sense in a way. Because it, it's just that's just the reality. Like you, you're not we talk about his offensive skill. I do think he has a ton of offensive skill and he has the potential, but I I do think he's not necessarily when he's going against a stronger opponent, it's more difficult and a taller opponent, it's more difficult to kind of get those generate your own looks in the post and so you're not seeing a lot of like post moves or post touches even for him you saw it a little bit against tennessee and sometimes they will double and and then it makes it even more difficult and he's and he's gotten better at passing out of the double team even though you referenced that turnover i do think he's gotten better at that but he's just not a guy that they're they're throwing the ball to down there a ton for him to generate his own points so that's part of it um but at the same time it's it's also it's, it's it goes back to the discipline with the fouls and and that's the physicality as well you want to play physical you want to play aggressive but this was a huge concern last year when he was playing limited minutes off the bench and he was replacing Kudus Wahab. He, uh, he he got a ton of fouls, just kind of like reaching, dumb fouls, not walling up. And it was just, it was kind of, it, it really hampered his his minutes in certain games. And we're seeing that again this season. So that that's a big thing is you want to be aggressive and physical on defense. And, and that's kind of a coaching staff thing that they got to teach them. They, they're saying it, they're treating it like it's Drew and Reese's freshman season so that they're, they're I'm sure they're working on this with him but you you got to be physical and aggressive on defense but without um without without fouling without being over aggressive where it's going to it's going to wind up with you on the bench
1: yeah and I think with with a young player like Juju at now in his sophomore year yes they're considering his freshman year I think you mentioned the foul trouble and physicality I think it's kind of important to note that every aspect of his game if if something's going wrong it it could affect Something else in his game, like if he gets in foul trouble, maybe, maybe he's a little you know hesitant on the offensive end to, to do something because he's worried of a, a moving screen or, or a charge. So, I think with him, I think the foul trouble is probably the biggest issue, and that uh, of course directly correlates to the physicality aspect of things. But I think Willard said after the game, look, he w- he needs ju to stay on the floor and more, and and Jude needs himself to stay on the floor and more. So. I think once that gets cleaned up, we'll kind of hopefully start to see some some areas of growth there um, for him. But I, I would agree with you. I think we're on the same page in, in terms of what's what's the issue here right now. Yeah. And,
0: and I will and I will say, like, he he's he's young. He's uh he's he, they're treating it like it's his freshman year. He got minutes off the bench last year, but, it, you know, it was a very wacky year. Like I was I was thinking about last year, um, like pretty recently, like it was it was they really they had like two coaches on that staff. But halfway through the year, it was it was a wacky year. So I get why it's treated like his freshman year. But um, and so so I expect to see growth in in a non, number of areas. I think we'll get to a point where they trust his physicality. Willow doesn't need to be yelling at it at it to him early on in games. They'll trust him, leaving him him in even if he picks up a third foul early on. Where they trust that he'll be more disciplined on that end. And then I think they'll, they'll get to a point where he's his skill improves. Um. I mean, he's very skilled, big, but his skill his skill improves with they trust uh, designing sets for him to get low post touches, even against good competition. Um, you know, we don't really have to talk about the the shot because it is a mystery that we will figure out by the end of the year what ha- why his shot completely looks different when we from what we've seen in practice and and why he hasn't attempted his free throw numbers are down, but why he hasn't attempted a single out like really outside jumper and not a three pointer all
1: season zero threes.
0: Yeah, but not not even that, even like a 15-17 footer. I I think
1: he stepped into one like 17-footer and and he hit it, and we really haven't seen it since. It's yeah,
0: it it is a mystery, and we will get to the bottom of it. I kind of keep forgetting about it because it's not on the top of anyone, anyone's mind. It's not necessarily a priority, but it is interesting um that he just has completely eliminated that from his game, where he looked like a a good shooter last year. Like I like genuinely like thought he had a good stroke and he could develop it even more, where he could have become a legitimate stretch for. Maybe it's also partly. You know, Dante is kind of a stretch for like he's a bigger four and he does those pick and pops. He's a trail man and for threes in transition. So maybe they want Julian as more of a rim runner, but it's not attempt a single shot. And the fact that the shot looks completely different than it did last year. It is a little interesting. I guess we'll just mention this on every podcast from now on until we figure it out.
1: Yeah, we have to. I mean, it it is it is the the number one mystery right now that he's he's a non-factor outside the paint. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I'd, 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 be, I'd be shocked if it changed this year, though, at this point. Yeah.
0: No, yeah, yeah. No. At this point, yeah, absolutely, you can't, you can't revise or work with that in the in the middle of the season. Um, but all right, let's get to let's get to the UCLA matchup because this is a great game tonight that we have. Um, Maryland UCLA. Um, I mean, it, it's it's kind of been circled on on people's calendar for a long time. Uh, Kevin Willard told a story yesterday. He was like, you know, this was scheduled before even UCLA ended up joining the Big Ten, and and Mick Cronin kind of called him and was like. Who knows how true it is, but Mick Cronin called him and was like, we need a pit stop before we play Kentucky because UCLA plays Kentucky this weekend. Can we come play you? And he was like, I'll do my friend a favor. They have a great relationship, obviously, Kevin Willard and Mick Cronin. So here UCLA is coming in a much anticipated game. We expect it to be an awesome Xfinity Center environment, similar to the Illinois game. Student section packed out. Um, place, will be, place will be packed, loud rocking Scott Van Pelt will be in the building he only comes for the big ones these days so you know so you know it's a big one when he's there but this is a really good UCLA team and I really think it helps Maryland being at home but UCLA UCLA only has two losses on the year and they were early on in the season uh they lost to Illinois who Maryland beat at Illinois and then they lost to Baylor at home who's now the 11th ranked team in the country but this is a really good UCLA team that's coming to town what are your initial thoughts on this matchup tonight
1: yeah, both games uh in in Vegas, those Illinois and, and Baylor games, they were uh, uh Excuse me, my apologies. No, no, you're good, you're good. That was that was a crazy tournament because I remember that was when uh Virginia kind of came on the map beating uh Baylor and then uh and then Illinois. But yeah, uh it's crazy to kind of think that UCLA is coming to College Park. Now uh Maryland's coming to UCLA next year and people were were getting all excited for it. Like this is an amazing home and home and then after these next two years, UCLA will be in the Big Ten and they're going to play every year. So maybe a little bit of the, you know, the the, the appeals taken off, but I, I still think it's it's a really big deal for these programs to play for the first time since 2007-2008 season. Look, UCLA is a really good team. Um, they're not going to overwhelm you with depth, kind of like Maryland and only eight deep and maybe a couple guys getting spot minutes. But this team is is number eight in Ken Palm for a reason. They're really good offensively, really good defensively. And you know we'll we'll get into the the details of, of what this team presents, but the Xfinity Center should be rocking really similar to that Illinois uh, atmosphere a couple of Friday nights ago. So it should be really exciting. Sam, good way to, to wrap up a, a four game stretch that we've been talking about since the schedule came out. Um, and, and we'll see a, a chance to get to two and two in that stretch, or a chance to fall to one and three. Um, I think big differences for the time being. This game probably won't make too much of a difference in the long run. I mean, UCLA is a national title contender, but um, a win could be huge.
0: Yeah, I, I do think it might, and it'll be a huge resume win for Maryland if they if they can win. If they lose, um, it depends how they lose, but this is a Maryland team that's on their fourth game in 12 days, and they've done a lot of traveling. Since the Illinois game, they were at Wisconsin, didn't get back till 5 a.m. um after that Wisconsin game because it was 9 o'clock tip and they didn't they didn't really practice the next day they had half weight training half individual drills no the team wasn't together practicing at any point they couldn't really work on anything um then they traveled to New York they went to New York on Friday a day early spent a couple nights there um and then and then they're back and now they have this game against UCLA so this has been a brutal stretch so it depends how Maryland loses this game but People aren't really factoring that in as much as they should. Is this is the end of a brutal stretch? Maybe it's a last push in a way before they have an eight day break and then and then two pretty bad non conference opponents. So maybe it's a break in a way. It's like give it, it's give it all, give it your all because you have a break coming up. But at the same time, this group has to be exhausted. Willard has just said a billion times that he's got to get back on the practice floor to work on things. They they, they have all these things they know they need to work on, but they're not working on them because they don't have ample amount of practice time or they haven't in these last couple weeks. So it's, it's, it's kind of a weird game in a way for, from Maryland's perspective, but it, it will be a fun one. I think Maryland has a great chance of winning, but like you said, these teams match up pretty well together. Um, uh, Jamie, uh, Jaquez, should I say, or how should I pronounce the name? Ben?
1: I'm Jaime Jaquez,
0: Jaime Jaquez, but according to Willard, it's, it's Vasquez. <laughs> it's Vasquez. <laughs> um, yeah, all right. So what? Whatever. He uh, he he's he's uh the Bruins' best player. They they have great shooters. Honestly, um, Jalen Clark is one of those guys who he shot forty five percent from deep this season, but he isn't shooting the ball a ton. I don't know if he'll, he'll get up more looks, but like maybe as the as the year goes on, maybe even tonight. But he's been a guy that that shoots the ball really well. Um, Tiger Campbell and David Singleton, those are the two best shooters, and those guys are legitimate threats from three. I mean, they they shoot a ton of volume, and they they can if they get hot, those guys can put Maryland out of any game or kind of put UCLA back in any game. And then Amari Bailey, who of course people know the name because he was a highly touted um, uh, f- prospect out of high school, and he was uh, Sierra Canyon, Bron- Bronny James's teammate. Um, he's been he's had a very good freshman year this season. Honestly, he's been pretty impressive. He's averaging eleven points, and he's second most assist on the team. So this is a pretty well rounded starting five. They all complement each other pretty well, like you said. They don't have a ton of depth on their bench, but neither does Maryland. Um, and the re- UCLA they don't have a great defense. It's a solid defense and they're good at generating turnovers. They're good at forcing offenses into tough decision, tough decisions. And at times this year, we've seen Maryland commit more turnovers than they should in certain halves and certain stretches, um, kind of like careless turnovers, honestly. So this is this is an interesting matchup. I don't really know. We'll do predictions in a minute, but I don't really know exactly how this is gonna play out.
1: Yeah, I'm happy you brought up the turnovers there. Just a really like a team that'll kill you on the offensive end, averaging like over 81 points per game. But they're just so fundamentally sound, take really good care of the ball. Some some stats, I think, sixth in the nation in turnover margin, top 15 in Kempom, both offensive and defensive turnover percentage. So they take care of the ball, and and they force a lot of turnovers, uh, and they have the best assist turnover ratio in the Pac-12. So I think Maryland's hounding de- – the defense has got to be hounded for 40 minutes straight. I mean, this has got to be their best defensive performance of the year because UCLA is not a team that's going to make many mistakes they just won't. Uh, you mentioned those players in their in their starting five, and then Singleton, who, who they they bring off the bench, are so really six guys who can hurt you. I mean, they're not the biggest team in the world. Uh, a Bona, freshman, six ten, uh, whole matchup with Juju. So be him being a freshman and, and Juju being a, a sophomore shouldn't be too overwhelming of a matchup there for the Maryland Big. Um, and then they bring bring a fifth year center off the bench as well. But yeah, A-Deep yeah. should match up pretty well. I think Maryland being at home should have the advantage in front of what should be a rocking crowd. But you, there's really not, when we were talking about it before the podcast, there's really not many flaws in this UCLA team. They are a very good team. And Mick Cronin is is one of the best in the business.
0: Yeah, this is a legitimate national title contender, no doubt about it. And Maryland's favored by one. So you know, the Vegas odd make odds makers, you know, that's partly because Maryland's at home. They really see this as an even matchup. Um, between these two teams the thing is some of my keys are number one Maryland has to take care of the ball um, if they're turning the ball over at a high rate if they're getting flustered offensively um, UCLA is going to have a field day with that they're going to Take those points and, and make them into turnovers um, pretty easily because that that's what they do well. So, Maryland needs to take care of the ball. They need to shoot the ball better. They just need to. UCLA is averaging 81, I believe. Or, yeah, 81 points per game. UCLA is averaging. So, they're going to score. Even though Maryland has a phenomenal defense and they're going to need to be able to shut down some of these guys and, and lock in defensively, UCLA is still going to be able to put the ball in the hoop. And Maryland just has to keep up. If they're scoring in the low 60s or high 50s, even. Um, and shooting the ball as poorly as they did the other night, they're just they're simply not going to win the game. So they need to they need to shoot the ball well. Um, you know, I really think that Maryland being at home is more advantageous this game more than any other game because this is a Maryland team that that usually has is a high energy, high effort team. But like we talked about, this is the end of a really tough straight, stretch. They, they're back to back losses. They haven't had a lot of practice time. They know they have a big break coming up. So this is a game where it's like you got to you got to find the energy within you and you got to find the effort within you to really go out um and and match the intensity that UCLA is going to have and that's why it's so huge being at home because the crowd helps you do that the crowd is going to be behind you the crowd is encouraging you defensively, they're going to be loud as they're going to be loud as ever. I'm sure tonight. So that's really huge, a huge element to it, where where it's a game where you need to find, you need to create your own energy. That Well, the crowd will be there to help, help you kind of create that energy. And a lot of guys, the adrenaline starts going when the crowd's there, they feed off it. We saw Jameer Young against, against Illinois. He was feeding off the crowd playing, playing in his, his hometown in the first really electric atmosphere that he's played at Maryland. So I think that's, that's a huge part of it. Um, The fact that they're at home.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you on those keys. For me, I think taking care of the ball is, is first and foremost, like you mentioned. Like we said, UCLA is very, very just a sound team that they don't do. Not a lot of flaws they don't do. You have to force them into errors. So if Maryland's going to be the team that makes more mistakes tonight, I think it's just going to come down and be simple as that. They're probably going to lose the game. Um, I think, as you mentioned, shooting better, I think. It needs to be to start the game. I think Maryland needs to get off to a a good start tonight because if you dig yourself in a hole against UCLA, it's going to be a similar situation to Tennessee where, yes, you're home, but it's it's going to be a tough hole to claw yourself out of. And I think just another key personally for me is just given the type of player that, that Jaime Hawkins is, yes, plays the floor, but can kind of stretch the floor as well. Really good, you know, pump faking ability. I know there's a lot of jokes about that on, on Twitter and, and TV, but it, it's true. Dante Scott's going to have a really good defensive game if he's the one matched up with him or if it's Akeem Hart. Got to stay down. Got to stay poised. Extend on all the threes. Um, I think if Dante Scott gives that 110% defense, defensive effort and he has a good defensive uh, performance today, I think the rest of the team will follow suit. And I think that'll probably be a major key to victory and and the team will kind of because, look, we, we've been talking about Dante all season long, and, yes, he had a poor offensive performance against Tennessee. Jameer's probably been their best and most consistent player, I would argue, but I think it starts and ends with Dante as the vocal leader of this team, and for him to play well and kind of set the tone of that effort on the defensive end against a really good player like Jaime Hawkes, if he's the one that's matched up against him. If not, maybe it's Jalen Clark or, or Marty Bailey, but he's he's got to set the tone there, and I think if he does, others will follow suit. Yeah, I
0: mean, this is a bounce-back game for a lot of guys. I mean, Jameer missed that floater, which I'm sure he was thinking about for that long bus ride home from New York to Maryland. Tante um, uh, Scott didn't play well. Hakeem Hart didn't play well. Potential b- bounce-back game for him. Um, Julian Reese wants to prove himself against some of these other good bigs. So I, I, it's a bounce-back game for a lot of guys, and I think you should see more contributions. I mean, only Jameer Young was in double figures last game, and that's pretty rare for Maryland because they usually have a pretty balanced scoring attack attack. It's not Jameer Young and Dante Scott have been the best players, but Hakeem hor has been consistently getting 13, 14, 15. They've had a lot of guys who can consistently get double figures. So you want to see a bounce back game from all of them. And then also, um, you know, Don Carey. it's not, I, I think, I think I said it was 24%. He's shooting from the field um, or shooting from three this season, yeah. but I don't have it right in front of me right now, but at home, I know it's much worse than 24%. It's got to be like 15% under, under 20%. Do you have it?
1: Yeah, I mean, he has played five home games, and I'll read you from the start to Niagara to Illinois. One for six against Niagara from three, oh for four against Western Carolina, one for four against Binghamton. Um, who am I missing here? Oh, for six against Coppin State, and then oh for four against Illinois. He's hit two That's threes. two for
0: twenty-four.
1: It's right? it, it is. Yeah. True. I mean, so, so it's not so,
0: just the poor shooting, but even more so it's the poor shooting at home. So I like th- at any point it's going to happen where he, he might, he might, he might break through um with, with a great shooting night at home and th- this would be the night where
1: everyone would love to see it. I totally agree. I think a lot of the Maryland fans, at least the ones that'll go to the games in person probably aren't the highest on him right now, but he can kind of change that with, with a really good shooting performance tonight, which Quite frankly, I mean, I don't know if I'd be shocked to see him have a really good shooting performance. It feels like he's due, and, and and we've talked about it. You know, if if this is the last big game of the stretch, it, it feels like a really good opportunity for him to to capitalize.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. Um, all right. You prediction.
1: Yeah, I think Maryland's going to win this ball game. I think uh, they're going to end this stretch at two and two. I think that was my prediction before. Um. And I, I think I'll go four for four prediction wise if they, if they beat UCLA here in that stretch. But uh, if Maryland, I think Maryland's going to win this game. Um, I think I think it'll have to be a little bit more high scoring than Maryland would like. I think Maryland wins this seventy five to seventy one. Um, I think Jameer Young has another really good game at home and just a really steady performance. I think Dante comes through defensively and maybe drops fifteen there as well. Um, I think hockey is going to have a big night for UCLA, but, but we'll see. I think, like you said, I think depth wise um, and just fundamentally wise, I think these teams do match up pretty well. Um, and we will see, I think Maryland wins this one by four though at home in front of a great crowd.
0: Yeah. I had a eerily similar prediction um, to you, <laughs> actually the exact same prediction, but I will switch exact it up just because, yeah, wow. <laughs> in my head. But I will I will go 76
1: because no, no, because when we're both right we can we can put it on the record. No,
0: I, I want to be different. I want to be different. I'm going to go 76-72 Maryland. Um this is a really really tough game for me to predict. I really have no idea what's going to happen to be to be quite frank with you. I could see it going either way. I could see Maryland I couldn't see Maryland getting blown out at home. That'd be pretty surprising but I can see Maryland losing by like seven or eight, just exhausted from the stretch. Not a lot of practice time, another poor shooting night, even with the crowd behind you. Um, But I also could see Maryland losing close one. But at the same time, like I could see the home, the home court advantage at the experience center is huge. It's really the reason why Maryland was able to, um to hold off an Illinois team when they were making run late runs in the game. It's the reason they beat Illinois. It's because of that home atmosphere. Um, And, you know, it's like UCLA is probably the better team, but I do think Maryland being at home, um, Maryland knowing they have a break coming up. You can see it as both ways. That could be a negative. It could be a positive, but they do know they have a break coming up. It's the really the last push of a tough four game stretch. And I said before this four game stretch, they would finish two and two. I'm standing by that with this prediction. I, I think Maryland somehow finds a way to win this game and it really will be very impressive for wilderness and his staff. If, if they can find a way to win this game and get, get his team to play, um, play effort, play, play with a ton of effort and play good basketball in a game like this, it really will be a huge win for Willard, I think. It just kind of it will prove the notion that, you know, these guys are bought in, that he is he's capable of motivating guys to play tough, play with a ton of effort and play hard, especially defensively. Um, so I could say like we've talked about this whole time, these teams match up well. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I think somehow Maryland squeaks by with a win.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I think the exact details are, are up for grabs, but I think being at home kind of led me to that prediction. And look, if, if Willard can win this game, great. You have two really good wins in Illinois and UCLA. They're both at home. And then beating St. Louis, Miami, and neutral floor are also solid wins as well. The next step would be you know, beating a really good team on the road, and that would happen right as the new year starts with games at, at, at Michigan and at Rutgers back-to-back. So we'll see. Uh, don't want to look too far ahead because obviously we'll get into it week by week. But, uh, yeah, this would be another really good signature win for Willard and also to beat his buddy, too, in, uh, in Mick Cronin.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, Maryland women's, women's basketball, who's had a wild season so far. They're the 15th-ranked team in the country. It's been an up-and-down season. You know, remember coming into the season when we talked about it, it was a team that had a ton of roster turnovers. We kind of knew there was going to be some, some ups and downs. Um, a lot of people, a lot of stars entered the transfer portal. So they t- to kind of reload, and that's what Brenda Frese does, and that that's what she did, and she-, she did a great job of it. Um, so but they've had some ups and downs. Like you just look at their last four games. Um, I mean they've gotten a ton of attention, including from Kevin Durant, because um on December first, Maryland beat no- the number fifth ranked Notre Dame Irish on the road. 74 to 72 with a buzzer beater from Diamond Miller, a fadeaway buzzer beater. Kevin Durant had his eyes peeled on the game. He was watching it. He shout out um Maryland and and Diamond Miller and said that was that was a great shot. And Maryland they knocked off the fifth ranked team in the country. And this team looked like they were building some momentum. They looked like they were building some momentum. And then they go on the road or no excuse me at home against Nebraska and they just got blitzed. They lost by 23 points. And that was the first time Nebraska had ever beaten Maryland. Right.
1: Yeah, I think would, they were yeah, 30, that was the or 16 or you know, something like that before that game.
0: Yeah, that was the first time Maryland had ever beaten Nebraska, or, or Nebraska had ever beaten Maryland, and it was at home for Maryland. So that was kind of a shocking loss. Maybe it was off a big win. That can happen sometimes. But then Maryland continues to struggle um, on the road against Purdue. They ended up winning again on a buzzer beater from um, Cheyenne so- Sellers. She, she hit, a, hit a phenomenal three late in the game to to put Maryland ahead three. And they won the game. And it was, it was honestly, it was, it was another one of those wild games watching it where it's just like this Maryland, like, like Brenda Fries called them the cardiac kids after the game. They've been a ton of stressful games for Maryland, but they didn't really play particularly well against, against not a good, but not a great Purdue team. Um, but they still managed to win late. And then, The most anticipated game of the season at home this past Sunday, they hosted Connecticut. Maryland never beat Connecticut. It was depleted. Connecticut team, they were dealing with some injuries, but Maryland won 85 to 78, um, knocking off a top 10 team in the country, which earned them the, the ranking they have now, which is as the 15th. Best team in the country, according to the AP poll. It's it's honestly been a wild ride for Maryland. You know, you've had some inconsistent play from Abby Myers, who was the Ivy League Player of the Year at Princeton last year, and came over in the transfer portal. She had a lot of expectation coming in. She she had a great game against UConn, but she's had an up and down season. Um, same thing with Cheyenne Sellers, um, uh, kind of an up and down season. Diamond Miller has, has she's been here for a few years now, and, and she's been kind of the consistent. Um, consistent player for, for this Maryland team. What, what are kind of your thoughts on what's been a wild season, but but they've had some huge wins over great opponents where it's, there's a lot to be optimistic about, about this team's big 10 uh, title chances, but also even as a national contender.
1: Yeah. To me, it just seems like a, a really polarizing team in, in terms of results and to have two buzzer beater wins in the state of Indiana within a week of each other was nuts you really can't make that stuff up and then to beat connecticut on sunday in front of a really good xfinity center crowd uh, unfortunately couldn't be there because we were at barclays center covering the men's team but to win that game by seven having never beaten connecticut before i I get i get that connecticut had only seven available players with a bunch of injuries but that's still really impressive given that they'll just plug and play five stars um to me this is a team that's just going to improve over the course of the year uh as brenda's freezes teams often do um They'll get a win at Fort Wayne next Wednesday. Weird that they're playing in Fort Wayne, but they'll get that win next Wednesday after a long break. And then another nine-day break, host Minnesota at home. So to going into the new year, should be really well-rested, should be playing their best basketball, heading into the heart of Big Ten play at 9-3 and three right now. So I think it's, it's going to end up being an exciting year for Maryland, a little bit different in the sense that they don't have a true big like they did last year with Angel Reese. Angel Reese obviously gone at LSU. I'm pretty sure playing really well over there. And they brought in Allie Kubek, who our Dylan Manfrey wrote a, a feature story on the website, published today. Go check that one out. Um, but she's been out for the year from with an injury as well. But yeah, just Diamond being the, the focal point, projected top five pick in the WNBA draft. Cheyenne Sellers playing basically all 40 minutes, only sat for 40 seconds against UConn, goes 7-14 from the field. Drop 19 points is really impressive. And of course, Abby Myers with 20, the, the Princeton transfer kind of making her presence known amongst Maryland fans uh, has been really impressive there as well. And, and, you know, the starting lineup, the rest of it, Eliza Pinson playing point guard transfer from uh, South Florida. And then Faith Masonis, who I've viewed as kind of the, the glue to this team in terms of doing everything right. Uh, fundamentally sound basketball player um, isn't going to drop 20 a game, but it's going to be an absolute menace on the defensive end and just make the smart winning plays on offense. She had that screen for uh Don Miller and that, that uh, buzzer beater at Notre Dame. And but this team's really only going seven deep right now. Lavender Briggs, the Florida transfer, has been a little disappointing so far coming off the bench, and then Brene Alexander coming from Vanderbilt has been impressive as well. So I think this is a team that will get better. I think this break after that brutal sw- stretch will kind of help them moving forward. And I wouldn't be surprised if we looked at that Nebraska loss at the end of the year is kind of just a blip on the radar of, of a really good you know top four in the Big Ten season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And they'll we'll have a ten day break uh, since this past, or they're in the middle of it, but since this past. Um Sunday when they beat UConn, they're, they're going to go to Purdue Fort Wayne. Kind of, kind of a wacky matchup. I don't know exactly why they're going to play that team on the road, but they will be uh, December twenty first, eleven AM tip. Um, that's in a week from today, next Wednesday. Certainly a wacky, yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly a wacky game because Maryland should handle them pretty easily. But then from there, it's exclusively Big Ten play, and that opens with uh, 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 at the. Uh, in, excuse me, in College Park, December 30th, playing Minnesota, and then it's just only Big Ten play from there. You know, we've talked about it and we've heard Brenda talk about it, but this is one of the best years of the Big Ten um, there is for women's basketball. And they've had some good years in the past, and Maryland's kind of dominated the conference for the most part. This is a really good, a deep Big Ten, but also really talented at the top. What do you, what's your kind of expectations for the ceiling for this team?
1: I think just given the talent, the ceiling probably just has to be a, a Big Ten championship. I'm not sure they're going to win it this year, just given the strength of Big Ten. Iowa's really good. Indiana's really good. Ohio State's really good. But I think when you, you talk about the Big Ten at large, um, it's really just a product of of what Brenda and, and the women's basketball program has done. They, they came to the Big Ten, dominated it for years and years, and we saw it in, in non-revenue sports as well with Miss Mahogany Field Hockey, men's lacrosse, women's lacrosse coming in as Titans and then the rest of the conference really catching up. And we've now seen it in a really grand scheme, big level of things with, with women's basketball as this conference is, is one of the best in the country. And I think you have to credit just the pedigree and what Brendan, and the program have done over the years. Uh, it, it's really big time. And, and it, it's gotten to the point where Maryland's not going to be winning the big 10 year in and year out. And I don't think they'll win this year. I think it's going to be a really good team probably finishes as, as a top four seed and and, and host an NCAA um, first round and second round, but yeah, the ceiling's high. Um, I don't think the floor is that low. Maybe the floors fit their six in the big 10 and and not get that double by. But, um, I, I think just at large and and talking big picture, what Maryland women's basketball has done for the big 10. Um, I I think you're kind of seeing that happen now in, in, in the big picture with all these teams catching up and and playing at that same level as
0: well. Yeah. That's, that's actually a phenomenal point. Um that you bring up that it really is, you know, it speaks to how phenomenal of a coach and how much of an impact Brenda Defries has had on women's basketball, and and really the Big Ten as a whole is—you know—they've—they've had no choice but to catch up to her, and she just dominated them. Everyone, every team in the Big Ten, when they when for the first five, six, seven years, when Maryland came to the conference, um, it it was really, really Maryland, and nobody was even close to them after that. And and everyone's been forced to catch up, and that that really does speak, you know, even when she doesn't win every year now, and she got kind of gets upset by some of these teams, that really does speak to. To to how talented and how long she's been, how long she's been a great coach and how long she's been winning, winning at Maryland. But you look, you just look at the conference. Like Iowa's a twelfth ranked team in the country right now. They're phenomenal. Ohio State's the third ranked team in the country. Um, Maryland's not even the favorite to win this conference this year. No. And there's going to be some tough competition um, as, as the year goes on, but. Indiana's number four ranked team in the country. There's just, it's, it's a really deep conference talented at the top. Um, It's going to be, it's going to be a tough year for Maryland, but if they can somehow pull it off um, we've seen them beat great teams all season. So if they can somehow pull it off, it might be the most impressive big 10 title that they've, they've won so far since they've entered.
1: Without a doubt. Cause the odds, the odds are certainly against them. The team is really talented, but it, it the conference just gets tougher and tougher. Like I said, not expecting a big 10 title, but of course, with this program, nothing would really surprise.
0: Yeah. So we'll keep you updated on them as, as the year goes on and, and the ranking in the big 10. And we'll, we'll keep talking about, um, uh, about Maryland women's basketball as the year goes on, but let's do a q- few quick nuggets on Maryland football. Before we wrap up, Maryland football's media day, bowl game media day was last week. Just a reminder they're playing December 30th in the Dukes Mayo bowl. They'll be playing NC state, uh, former ACC rival of Maryland's. Um, so that'll be December 30th at noon in Charlotte. Um, so we had the media day yesterday for the big 10 Loxley spoke to the media, a bunch of players spoke to the media and the big revelation from it was, um, Kim Jarrett. He came out and, and held his own press press conference. And he said, he's entering the draft surprise to nobody. He's made it really clear all season as straightforward as, as anyone on the team has been that he's saying he's going to the draft death this year. He's everything he's doing is because he wants to get to the NFL draft. Um, so what were kind of your impressions from, from his announcement there? And where do you kind of see his draft stock uh, as a stance to that?
1: Yeah, I think, I think first of all, impressive young man to, to go out and do that. I, uh, Loxley mentioned the whole team was, whoever was leaving, was kind of offered the opportunity for their own platform. And some of them really jumped the gun from what I've heard. Um, but Kim Jack was the only one that took him up. And and I think it's it's really impressive for him to go out and do that. Because, look, he like he said, he had off. Definitely a little bit of an overconfident guy, but he he had offers from all these schools around the country. He was heading to LSU, uh, kind of changed the last second, wanted to stay home, play for locks. He said, It doesn't matter, you know, where you are, if you produce on the field, they will find you. And I think while well, maybe he didn't have the, the best year in, in what people imagined from this wide receiver room being one of the best in the country, which it certainly was not. Kim Jarrett's still a really talented guy. I think all props to him for for using that platform to to make his announcement because I think whether his on-field production indicates it or not, he's going to be a really good NFL player. I think he's going to end up as probably as a day-two pick. Uh, I think he's going to crush the combine, crush the pro day. I think just all the intangibles and the fact that, you know, he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school and he's shown flashes of being one of the best receivers in college football at times, I'm not saying consistently, um, will allow him to go early in this draft. Um, but, yeah, I think just for him to to use that platform and and kind of, it speaks volumes about the program of what a player of that caliber coming, staying home, playing from Maryland football can do for the future moving forward. Cause I think we'll see potentially Nicholas Harbor, the uh, five-star athlete in the class of 2023, maybe he's coming in as well. And then maybe some other guys from DeMatha recent South Carolina commit offensive lineman. I, I think just what he did, I, I think it was as impactful as it was, in the DMV community for the perception of Maryland football and he'll ju- he'll be just fine in his career. Maybe he could have been a first round pick elsewhere, but you know, he'll, he'll, he'll have a, I think a successful career in the NFL because he is a really talented guy.
0: Yeah. Um, I do think it was very important that he kind of, um, and, it, and was telling that he kind of made that public announcement, did it in front of everyone and Loxley introduced him because he really was, um, he was the first guy. He was the start of that movement. Where uh, it was, you know, you hadn't seen a lot of guys, especially you know, as as you want to build up a, a football program, you want to keep your talent, you want to keep your local talent home, and that's the D.M.V. guys because it's such a rich um area for football and for recruiting, and Maryland had struggled with that for years, and Loxley has kind of been changing that narrative, and the first guy to do it was Rakim Jarrett, who was a five star, who was a five star prospect, and it wasn't just. That he committed to Maryland was committed to use uh, to LSU, uh, decommitted, then committed to Maryland. It was the fact that they kept him around for, for three years, right? Yeah, three. I had to think about three. that for a second. For three years, um, it, he he was poached by LSU last year when NIL came to the fray, he could have made millions and millions of dollars from some high plate for some really like high regarded institutions, and which he wouldn't make in Maryland. But it's not just the fact that he, um, that he committed to Maryland in the first place. It's the fact that when NIL came to the fray and and every and Maryland didn't necessarily, you know, they didn't go to a bowl game his first season. They went to the bowl game the second season, but they weren't some, they were a six win team. They weren't some nationally um, prominent program. He still stayed around and he trusted Loxley and what he was building, trusted his plan loxley's plan for him to get to to get him to where he wanted to go so it's not just that he committed to Maryland; it's the fact that he stuck around um at maryland when the transfer portal is 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 taking everyone these days so it's that's that's really um what's so interesting for me and i think he's a really talented guy i think he's a great nfl prospect at the end of last season i thought he could be a first or second rounder he didn't have a great season so i you know a couple drops here and there and just his numbers weren't eye-popping in any way this season. So I do think um, he kind of hurt his stock a little bit just based off of this season. But I still think he's going to be a phenomenal NFL wide receiver. We've seen the long lineage of Maryland wide receivers going to the NFL and having a ton of success. I think he certainly could be a part of that. Even Chigakonkwa is now dominating, not dominating, but he's, he's having a very successful rookie season in in the NFL. Um, so I think you're going to see Rakim Jarrett follow the same path, and I expect him to be a, probably a third or fourth round.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. I think I think his ceiling is definitely day two. And, and it wouldn't be surprised if you went early day three. But at at that point, third and fourth round is just a difference of day. I think as, as long as you get him in the locker room, he's, he's going to make an impact. Um, anything else we wanted to touch on from football? I guess Talia uh, Bach said that he expects him to be back. I think that's kind of a, a poorly kept secret on. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was asked kind
0: of- yesterday and, and he wouldn't say he just kind of said, um, like he was, he's, his family still makes has to make the decision. Him and his family, and they'll make it after the bowl game. But it would be an absolute shock if he wasn't back.
1: I'd agree. I mean, I, I don't think he's going anywhere else right now. He doesn't really have any NFL value right now, and he he has his uh, his red shirt senior year ahead of him. So we will see on that front. Um, anything else, Sam? Um, I I think I think with this bowl game now sixteen days away, we'll obviously get into a, a full preview as that time comes. But it's 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 exciting. I mean, December locks. He's out there recruiting. Uh, they picked up uh, Jaquan Shepard, first team uh, all AAC corner from Cincy. He replaced Sauce Gardner this year and, and was very impressive um, in doing so. A lot of open scholarships and, and really an exciting time with signing day one week from today. That'll be a huge day uh, for TestudoTimes.com.
0: Sure sure will be. Yeah, one week from today, right? December 21st, yeah. That's that signing day. So we're gonna, maybe there'll be some surprises. A lot uh, kind of will be expected. Um, it'll, it'll be reported beforehand. But we'll have you updated with that. Um, did, wait, did we touch on Deshaun, Deshaun Jones real quick? Um, no no the decision air. from him.
1: Still up in the air. So,
0: yeah. So nothing really to touch on, but um, no decision from him. He did speak to the media. He still said he's deciding. He'll probably make that decision after the bowl game. But again, a guy that um, I think it's the indication is that he will be he will be back for another year.
1: I think so as well. I mean, he's been recruiting guys on on all of our Twitter and Instagram. So we'll see. I I think um, it'd it'd be a a really important, um, you know, retention guy for for the Maryland team because he'd be wide receiver one, no doubt next year. And he's, gone through a lot and he had he was yeah. going to end as the team's leading receiver as long as he doesn't finish with like negative 10 receiving yards in the bowl game so i think if you bring back he and and ty felton it could be a really impressive core uh yeah started. and a guy
0: that talia talia really trusts and relies on like he's kind of a safety blanket they have a great uh repertoire and great relationship
1: without a doubt without a doubt
0: All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, If you're listening to this now and maybe you're on your drive to the UCLA UCLA game, maybe you're just prepping for it. But if you're going to the game, enjoy the game. It should be an awesome one tonight. Uh, We'll, of course, be there and we'll break it all down next week, Um, along with everything else going on. Thanks for listening, everyone.